Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Here's what's coming up. I think the first thing that anybody learns from a consultant or in a 20s group or in a management class is that you have to have meetings. And that was the first change when I bought the business. We started having regular weekly meetings. And it's during that time that you can you can set the bar of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable with everyone looking at each other. That is a huge, huge piece of getting people to do what you want. When, when we teach that, we talk about tools. I need tools. I mean, uh, uh, if I'm gonna be a good tech, I have a, a toolbox. And I think that shop owners, most of them understand the tools needed to fix the car, but I need tools that help me do my job as a manager. We need your help. By submitting questions or topics to institute at ifrave.com, we can continue to cover things that are relevant to you. But for now, we've collected a panel of experts to get you serious results. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it. Welcome to The Leading Edge. Uh, this is a continuation of last week's Leading Edge. It ain't easy, the difficult parts of management. Um, uh, with us uh, right now, uh, we have Bill Greeno from... Uh, quality automotive service and uh, Kent Bullard from uh, work um, work work life game work life game see and uh, and myself Cecil Bullard um, we we talked about uh, different things in uh, in management on our last leading edge that are that are difficult I, there's a couple of things I uh, would like to bring up, but Bill, you said you had done some research and you had, you know, you were prepared. What do you, Bill, what do you think um, is most difficult for uh, shop owners out there in the, in terms of managing people? Well, the, the most important thing and the most difficult thing in, in managing people is, is actually doing it. We, we talk about management, we train in management, but at the end of the day, there's a, there, there's a, course of action that actually would be defined as management. And okay. what I mean is, is, is creating expectations that are measurable, creating policies that are acceptable, and then um, educating how the employee can fulfill these obligations, and then enforcing when they don't. Okay, I'm. I'm. Uh, I just something. A little bit to it. That, that I think there's a little bit to it. You know, there's. It's not one. There's no one thing that's difficult about management. It's management. It's hard. Right. Right. Management's difficult. Yeah. Period. <clears throat> uh, actually, no. I, I I disagree with that statement. I think management's easy once you manage. Don't you Don't you find, Bill? It's, frankly, that when you have a well-managed business, that not only does it make more money, but it seems to be a lot easier on, on you to, to get what you need out of it. Yes. I just heard from Rich. He's coming. It's, um, it's, oh, it's easier he, if it's consistent. Actually, so, so one of the things that I printed out was Rich's social media policy, and he's just finishing an uncomfortable social media policy meeting. So he'll be uh, soon. Uh, okay. Um, yes. To, to answer your question, um, the uh, what comes to mind when you say that is uh, is micromanagement and actually implementing your policies and trusting what you've done instead of continually and and it's like we we as owners step in our own way and we tell people to do things and we tell people to do things we tell people to do things but we never we never stop. And, and what I mean by that is like when you're teaching, I always go back to dog training, when you're teaching your dog to come and rather than teaching the dog to come and saying, come and pulling on the leash or however you're teaching people who don't know how to train a dog, they say, come a million times and the dog never obeys and the dog gets used to the owner just saying, come, come here, come here, come on, come on, come on, come, 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 come. The dog never comes. Um, I think the same is true for us as employers with our, with our employees. We, 
we beat them over the head with the same words over and over again, but we never really see to it that they can succeed. So yes. But, but are you are you talking about process? Um, are you talking about communication, clarification, and um, and commitment, or are you talking about consequence? Right. Because if I don't have a process, um, if you're in Canada, that's process, by the way. Um, if I don't have a process by which how we're supposed to do this, how do I teach and train that person to do that job? Okay. If that person doesn't understand what's required of the job, if, if we haven't discussed the strategies for being able to be successful within the job, if we haven't committed to uh, the, the goals or the targets or whatever equals success for that job, then we don't have a chance of getting success. And if there isn't a consequence, both positive or negative for getting the job done, then we don't have a motivation and it's difficult to manage. Right. All five. So, all yeah. Five things you're it's, it's not, that's, I think that's the difficult part. Now, now, um, um, Kyle, I, I want to, Ken, I really want to get you involved here, but I, I really need to spend just one more minute with Bill. Bill, I think that the, the shop owners feel like it's too overwhelming a job. And this is what I know how to do. So I can't get that done. I need this. What, where do you start? What's the start place? So the start, the start place for me is onboarding process. And during the onboarding process, you get a few opportunities um, to work with the person. One, one way is with your employee handbook. Um, I'm in the process of redoing mine currently. Uh, updating, boy, are there some updates from the last five years. The world has changed. The, but the other pieces are, and the way you can re-educate your staff is by making sure that your staff is part of the onboarding process and giving them and assigning them pieces and parts of the training, but also pieces and parts of the employee handbook. And, and it reinforces their understanding of what's expected of them as they are teaching the new person how to uh, succeed with the processes that are involved in that particular company and understanding the consequences should they fail to do so. When we, when we teach um, hiring, we have a hiring, finding hiring and, and training, mentoring class. Um, Ken, is that one online yet? No, we need to do that one live and redo it, but uh, we will have it online in the, in the near future, um, at our, at, at our learning man in, in our learning management system. Um, when, when we teach that, we talk about tools. I need tools. I mean, uh, uh, if I'm going to be a good tech, I have a, a toolbox and I think that shop owners, most of them understand the tools needed to fix the car, but I need tools to hire and train. And, and those tools are my handbook, um, the processes to, to do these jobs, the, the goals, the, the record keeping, the, 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 here's the numbers, you know, all of that is our tools um, that help me do my job as a manager. <coughs> <coughs> Kent, where's your, I already know what your starting point is. I pretty much think I know what you're going to say, but, but where's your starting point? Um, if you were to talk to a shop owner, I would, if we're talking about starting on implementing a new, you know, way to start managing, it would definitely be within the hiring process or onboarding process. It's, it's, it's all set in the beginning. And honestly, if you're building an, an entire structure, that's the easiest place to set because you're building a handbook and the handbook is going to outline everything that you would need to do in a, in a nice clean list. And then you'd follow through with that and building your processes off of it. So yeah, I'd start in the same place that Bill's saying. But we have, we have multiple things here and Bill, I'm pretty sure you have multiple things. Do you have a, um, do you have a form that gets filled out when you need to hire someone that defines defines what that person looks like or who they're going to be, the skills, the talents, the, the attributes that you want for that person in that position. Yeah, 
that's in my application. Okay. And then, um, and then you have a handbook. Do you have a process manual? Um, how we do certain things? These are the processes that we follow. So good question. Um, what I'm working on my, my 2020 project, which may have gotten stretched, uh, is, is my, is to redo my business plan. I'm looking over here because I have a very large table full of business plan documents and stuff. My, my plan is, is, is to, is to not only my shop is automated currently, but I want to have it, um, to a, uh, shall we say marketable level, um, that somebody could take all the pieces and parts of my plan, including the processes that you're speaking of and, uh, run this place without ever having done anything, but write me a check. Okay. Um, so that's part of your, um, uh, transition plan, right? Yeah. Is to make sure that you have those things in play. Now it's easy for you though, Bill, because you have managers, you have service advisors, you have technicians, you're not working in the shop day to day. No, no, not generally. Um, so it's easy. You have all the time in the world to get this stuff done, but you don't understand, Bill. I, I'm a tech and I, I, I have to work in my business to be successful. So, you know, um, I, I don't have that kind of time to get that stuff done. If you, if you have, if you can take 30 minutes or, it, you know, better yet an hour a week, you can at least do one document per week. And by the end of a year, you'll have 52 documents and you can start with some of the major points. So I would start with positions and one of the big positions being a technician, one of the big positions being a service advisor. And you start to describe, you know, what we want, what the standards are with those um, in, a, in, in a way that would be like, um, if I was to hire somebody, here's the job description that they would want. That way you at least know what standards would be there and you can start to build your processes off of those. So in the first two months, all you do is write these job descriptions. This is what this role does, what they're responsible for. But I'm going to, I'm going with which I'm, I'm going to do. I got to say something here because frankly, I'm going to get a little salesy. Why would I write all that when the Institute has that or other consulting companies have that material? <laughs> or why would I even write it if I could go online to Google and Google search it and, and, and download something? Right. right, right. I mean, so so what you can go in Google search and there's honestly, I would recommend it. But the whole point being that you need to you need to get it to what works for you individually. So you take whatever's available, right, whether that be through consultancy, whether that be through Google. Uh, there's a lot of companies out there that have free resources that you can go and work from templates, formats, all of that. And you build it off of that. You spend half an hour a week working on those and defining those. Uh, because it has to fit your situation. Okay. But Bill, I, I don't have the time. I'm, I mean, I, I, I work until, geez, eight, nine o'clock at night sometimes, and, and I don't even make it home. Um, how do I find an hour to a week to, to do this crap? I'm, I'm back to the money-making machine I talked about last week. I'm going to focus my, my efforts where I make money. This is this is a, um, it, it's a first a developmental position or a developmental thing that we're talking about. We're, we're developing our business if we don't already have these processes in place. Right. So I'm going to, I'm going to engage somebody else to help me with that. And, and, and the Institute is a, is a fine resource, you know, email Cecil or Kent and say, Hey, I need, I need these processes. And for 1999, what if we told you that you could get quality training and education conveniently and without emptying your pockets? Our gear platform presents great education and resources for automotive shops, courses led by experts inside and outside our industry, a community of like-minded people to engage with, and a resource library at your fingertips. With a monthly membership, you can gain access to every course we have in the library, as well as the multiple courses we add each and every month. With the ability to watch wherever and whenever you'd like, gear provides the training you've been looking for at only $129 a month. For help with improving your business, head to ifrave.com and click on the courses we teach to sign up for a better business and a better life today. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little. We'll ship it. We'll ship um, it to you today. Yeah, but but um, 
but 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 Bill, um, you're telling me that I don't make money fixing cars, right? Well, who, who <laughs> who's fixing the cars? If if that's if you're just getting started and you're still fixing the cars and you have a partner that's that's running the front office, for instance, or maybe you're doing everything, um, you need to figure out first, you know what. Where, what's my first employee look like? Does my first employee look like a mechanic or does my first employee look like a service advisor? Or does my first employee look like a manager of the business? Um, and that's that's another conversation, I think probably for another time, but there needs to be something in place when you do that. And again, I, I would go back, I, I use a company here in California <clears throat> And I'm going back and forth with them, rewriting my um, employee manual. Now, I don't need them to establish my policies on, here's my revisions, the name of my company, 401k versus simple IRA, sick leave changes in the law, smoking, parking, punctuality, tattoos, and social media. They're not going to write that for me. I have to do that. But they can take care of all the legalese. They can take care of the rest of it. Um, And so I, those are the. At some point, you're going to have to do the job if you want to own a business. Then you have to, you have to just do it. You have to get your time. Take the time. Carve it out. I love what Kent said. Thirty minutes. Write it down. Even if you don't write it down well, just write it down. I was going to say if if you're if you're struggling to find the time. One of the best ways to do this is to schedule it, right? If you if you say next week on on Wednesday at four o'clock, look, you you've got maybe one partner or two partners that are going to work with. Like, talk with them and say, "Hey, I need this hour on Wednesday next week. I can't have any calls. I can't have any interruptions because I have to start getting this done. Will I, you please hold me accountable to that?" I would tell you that this is one of the more important concepts, the concept of scheduling time, um, setting aside time, Bill said carving it out. And you would be better off um, closing your business for that hour, uh, turning the phones off if that's what you had to do. Now, I'm going to talk reality a little bit, I hope. Um, When it's just me and another guy, it's easy to run because I can put my hands in every pie, right? Uh, it's when I get to two and a half, three employees uh, that it becomes more difficult. And at some point it, it, it challenges me or overwhelms me uh, uh, because I haven't set the foundation together. I don't have the employee manual. Um, I don't have the processes. Um, I don't have the management uh, in play. So what we're doing instead, and I would say that typically in shops, this happens every day, is we're, we're just managing the day, right? And not managing the business. Managing the day is cars come in, I talk to the customers, I get the work done, cars leave. Managing the business is creating goals, uh, determining the kind of business I want, um, putting handbooks in play, putting um, uh, processes in play, documenting processes, shifting them. And I would say cheat everywhere you can. Um, Groups are really good. So 20s groups, uh, join a good 20s groups. We run the World Pack Smart Groups um, because that's an inexpensive way in, in money to get in with other shop owners that have already done a large part of the work that I can say, hey, does anybody have a, a handbook? And I got three guys that go, yeah, here's mine, you know, and now I have to adjust it. But this idea, Kent, of, of carving out time, I live and die by my calendar. It's, it's funny because Kent and I will be in a meeting. He goes, hey, I want to talk to you about this. And I say, well, look at my calendar and, and schedule something. Because if you don't schedule it with me, it ain't going to happen. Um, it, it, it's it's interesting. Um, the difficult part about management, I think, for most people, is just getting started. You know, um, just well, getting in there. Hey, Rich, look, my buddy, 
Rich is here. Mr. D. Francisco, good to see you. Thanks. Uh, understand you had a, a fresh off uh, of an employee meeting. Yes, I, I, I understand you had a, an employee meeting that went long. We we appreciate you making it in. Thank you. Yes, we had a um, we had to come out with a social media policy because of everything that's going on in the world right now, and apparently um, some of our more vocal employees um, feel that it was censorship. Uh -huh. So we had, we had to have a talk about that. Mm. And it's funny though, even today in today's media, and, and again, this is not a social media um, thing, but even today, if I post something, even personally, it gets seen as coming from the Institute and the business. And um, we have a rule in our, on our groups, no politics, no religion, um, period. Uh, if, if you post politics or religion, I'm going to cut it out. I don't care which side of the fence you're on. I don't care what you're saying. Literally, we're going to cut it out. And, and you're going to get uh, uh, something from me that says, oh, by the way, we're, we're all trying to play nice and be friendly here and help each other. And we so we have decided no politics, no religion on our site. Now, you can do whatever else you want in the world. You can go hang a sign out and protest or whatever you want. But right here, that's not what we do. And I certainly have my opinions, which you will not hear on this podcast. Um, if you want them, I won't put them on Facebook either. Um, uh, uh, call me and we'll, we'll have a discussion about it. Um, and if you like it, fine. And if you don't, fine. So, so because I want to get back to this. I, I had something I wanted to mention because you kept talking about, well, they don't have time. They don't have... If you're if you're a business owner and you want a successful business, you have to choose to be a business owner. And that means that you accept the responsibility that it's your job to make a business and run a business, not work in a business. And, and you're going to say I, I get it, Kent. I mean, you're right. I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, there's a point in your in your business where you have to decide to be an owner in your business. Rich, when did that happen for you? Got to think about it. it. Was so long ago. <laughs> well, no, it was. It definitely wasn't. It, it definitely wasn't at the point of buying the business. It was after. Yeah. Because in buying the business, since I bought a failing business, it was just a matter of trying to keep afloat until we learned how to not keep afloat. You know, and, until you learned how to put money in the bank. Right. Exactly. And and then <laughs> and then to, to realize how to make that money work for you and to. You know, before that, it was just treading water. Rich, can you give us the timeline and and specifics? You bought the business. You were fixing cars. You were doing everything. You and Cindy didn't run the business until recently. It was no. Cindy didn't leave her job and, until eight years in. And who who is the first person you hired? Like, run us through the timeline. I started when I went. The business opened in two thousand seven, right at the beginning of the recession. In two thousand nine, <laughs> I started working there as a service advisor, and I replaced the service advisor who was a tech I worked with, who then became a tech. And then, I, and then they hired the person, Andrew, who is now my service advisor. So it was Mark as a technician, me as a service advisor, and Andrew as a parts person until they moved me back out into the shop again and then had Andrew writing service. So when I bought it, it was Mark and I in the shop and Andrew running service. And that was it. And that was in 2010 was when I bought it. And I bought it right off the, I was standing behind the door of the attorney's office, holding the check to keep the tax, the state from putting, from locking the doors. Okay. Like I was standing there and the attorney said, don't breathe. Don't say a word. And so Andrew, what was your, what was your next step or your next hire? The next hire was, a receptionist to answer the phones to make appointments. And then after that, another technician. And Did then you? I, I didn't fall out of the technician role until probably two to three years in. And it was extraordinarily difficult to be a technician. I don't know how anybody could be an owner slash technician. I think you There's could. No I, think you, I think you could 20 years ago. I don't think you can today. Well, yeah, no, no, no. There's too many distractions. Well, and, so, and and furthermore, 
Rich was like a, I'm going to make up numbers, like a 50, 60, 70 hour a week producer. So to get out of that role must have been terribly difficult. It was. Yeah, it was, it was difficult. And then, you know, and of course, and then there was the typical uh, when it started, I didn't pay myself for several years. Cindy was working for Granger. My wife was working for Granger at the time. She was carrying our insurance. She was making, I, you know, I, I, my kids are grown and stuff. So I, you know, I didn't, it didn't take much to keep afloat. My house has been, you know, my house was paid for and cause I made good money when I made money. Right. So then, you know, when I did this, I was able to not pay myself for a while and I still pay myself very little, but you know, so I live well. So there's, there's a point, there's a, there's a point in time where you became an owner and, and you stopped being a worker in your business in the sense of fixing cars or selling service. Yes. Did you hire a consultant or join a group before that time happened or was it after? I did not. I, I had heard about it and I had, and I knew that I needed it. One of the things that I knew for sure right from the beginning was I had, I had worn every hat in a dealership or in a shop except for an owner. I had worn every hat. I've been a parts person. I'd been a warranty person. I had been a dispatcher. I've been a technician. I've been, I've cleaned the floors. I had done everything, but I never had to run a business. And I knew nothing about, I'd open up QuickBooks and I'd look at it and it was all, I had, as long as what was on the bottom was higher than what was at the top in the morning, I figured we were doing okay. Okay. You know, as long as we spent a little less than we made, I figured we were doing okay. It's funny how that. I knew I wasn't doing it right. It's funny how so many of us came up that way, so to speak. Um, so hang on. Um, it was difficult for you to make the transition from tech to owner in the company. Yes. What, when's the first time that you had to have a confrontation with one of your employees that, that had been there for a while that wasn't doing what you felt you wanted them to do or needed them to do. It was, it was, it was still while I was still in the shop. So it was still, and and that was another one of the problems was that coming up through and having two of the guys that are still with me being there when we were all employees, (laughs) I I definitely have an issue with one of them feeling like I'm a peer, which I kind of am a peer. However, I'm not. And there's, there is now a chain of command. And the chain of command is not run straight to me. You're okay. a superior. <laughs> not, a, not a peer. Yeah. Uh, so, so hang on. Um, Bill, you, you came through a different path because you were managing a ski resort before you came to buy a shop. So did you know you've never been a tech? So... You never, you never made a living as a technician, correct? Correct. Okay. So did you, <coughs> did you step right into that owner role, that leadership role and not write service or did you write service for a while and then shift in or what? Yeah. So I, uh, so I came in with a, with a fully dysfunctionally operating ship of fools um, and came, came in. I would say initially as a as a human resources type manager um, with with I would say multiple departments and uh, and then that gave me the opportunity to really get a feel for what was going on um, and then I had to fire a service advisor in the first week and um, so I I took on the service advising role and it, it was you know it was so dysfunctional that there was a couple times that you know I did my first uh, Volkswagen alternator probably in the first month that I owned the place on a Saturday. Um, <laughs> again, having not been a technician, but uh, you, you, you do what you need to do. But uh, I also, I, I joined my first 20 group uh, probably three months into ownership. Um, I contracted the company that I still use today to, to put together my employee manual. Mind you, at this point, I had written employee manuals for three different companies. I knew everything that needed to be in it. I even could gather the legalese resources, but I didn't have I didn't have that kind of time to spend. I needed to make money because I needed to pay for the business that I'd bought. 
Um, so for pennies on the dollar, what you can pay somebody to do that for you, it made sense to me to bring in someone else and have them sit down and listen to me, tell them what I wanted in the book and then make it a legal book. Um, and, and you're, you were talking about discipline or you're getting towards discipline, which, um, I I'd like to, uh, I, I don't know the other States. I know California really well, but I have some, uh, some interesting points on discipline that I'd like to, to share. We're going to get to that. Uh, I guarantee you, we're going to get to that because I have, I have three things on my list. Um, creating accountability, what's necessary to do that. Um, I have letting people fail on my list, which is really hard to let somebody else fail when you could jump in and save their lives. So, so, uh, so on the, on all that, sorry to cut you off. Um, the, the next step, we've talked a lot about the documentation and, and, and writing things down, but I think the first thing that anybody learns from a consultant or in a twenties group or in a management class is that you have to have meetings. And that was the first change. When I bought the business, we started having regularly week, regular weekly meetings. And it's during that time that you can, you can set the bar of what's acceptable and what's not acceptable with everyone looking at each other. And that's, that is a huge, huge piece of getting people to do what you want. I always get, I always get this, you know, question uh, when I'm talking to people is how, well, how do we, how do we start implementing these things? Once we've got the documentation, how do we do this? And it's like, have a meeting. It's like, when are we supposed to have meetings? Look, Mondays, Wednesdays, what, what works for you, right? As long as you just start having the meeting, it doesn't even have to be super formal as long as the, the whole point is that you're getting together to discuss changes. And that's the thing, as long as you're hitting those points, you have that opportunity to make change because that's, that's the precedent you're setting. Hey, we're all here to talk because there's some changes we need to make. All right, what are those changes? Hey, here's my documentation for it. What do you guys think? Right? That's, Every meeting is an opportunity to do that. And, and Kent, I mean, just like you're saying, and you have to make it so it's a habit. You have to make it so that it's every week at a certain time. And if you don't have a met item for that meeting, talk about a victory that happened during that time. Well, I mean, tell hell, about a customer who left a good review or, you know, tell it, tell yeah, have something like that. They don't all have to be policy meetings or we really need to don't. do it this way. Meetings, we did it wrong. Meetings. It's, it's okay to have a meeting and be like, Hey, we got nothing today, but you know what? Joe did a great job on such and such. The customer called back, said it was awesome. And he thinks we're great. You guys are the best. Let's have cake. Exactly. Let's have cake, right? I mean, sometimes just let's have cake. There's a ton of different advisor training options in the industry, making the choice that much harder to make. Some shove too much into too little of a time frame. They can be inconvenient and costly, or they're just filled with unhelpful, non-applicable information. So how are you supposed to create confident and capable service advisors? The Advisor Mastery Program from the Institute is the industry's leading service advisor training, now almost entirely online. With one-on-one coaching, KPI tracking, live community trainings, a resource library, and more, there's no wonder why advisors who finish the program have seen their efforts rewarded with more confidence, higher arrows, and better sales. If you're ready to stop settling for mediocre and start ruling the counter, join the Advisor Mastery Program today. Head to iframe.com and register now. We'll see you in class. Uh, be, hey guys, when do you want to have meetings? So you know, um, but I don't have I don't have time for meetings. We're too busy. Again, I don't, don't go home till eight thirty at night. You don't have you don't have time to not do this because if you don't do this, you're gonna scramble and you're gonna struggle and you're gonna be stressed out and you're gonna overwork until you die. Do you know? And that's it. My my thoughts when I think about manager role, one of the big pictures is meetings. I have meetings. I meet with uh, the team. I meet with the individuals. I meet with uh, suppliers and 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 people that are going to give me the, the handbook. And it's like a life of meetings. Um, I don't I don't work on cars anymore. I haven't for years. Even when I ran the shop for the last five years, I ran the shop. I didn't. I never worked on a car. Um, I like to say my text wouldn't let me out in the shop because I swear too much when I work on cars and it's actually the truth. Um, uh, uh, I had meetings with people. We, we, we felt meetings were so important. We closed our business on Wednesdays at noon to have a meeting. And, and you know what? We made more money because of it. We made more profit because of it. 
we had um, we had people that were on the same page. Um, all right, so let's talk about um, just for a brief minute, letting people fail. Is that? I mean, do I have to let them fail? At or, times. What's that? At times, you do. And 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 why is that necessary? It could possibly be the only way it's going to learn is to see the consequences. I look, but it's so difficult for me to watch somebody struggle in a diagnostic when I can tell them what to do, and that car is going to get done faster and get out and be be right. So, so if I could jump in, Dad, I was telling you this morning. Um, my wife's mother. Uh, we were visiting with our kids. Right, I've got a I've got a six year old and I've got a, a two year old. And the two-year-old was jumping off the couch. Now, that's kind of something we've talked about. We don't want him jumping off the couch. He's going to hurt himself. And we've, we've kind of shown him, hey, don't do this, and guided him to it. And he knows it's something he shouldn't do. He, you know, it's very obvious he knows. And uh, so he's jumping off the couch at, at grandma's house, and he hurts his butt, you know, falls down funny, hurts his butt, maybe might get a little bruise. And her mother kind of gets upset with us because we didn't react and, and coddle him and try and catch him or even not even let him do that in the first place. Right. We allowed the opportunity for him to go, all right, I'm going to test my boundaries here. He understood that it, he shouldn't do that. He got hurt and now he has to suffer the consequences and he's crying and wants to get held and, and hugged. And, and uh, we were treated as callous and all. I'm like, Hey, it hurts to watch my kid fail. It hurts to watch him, him be in pain. But now he's got a consequence that he understands and this allows him to learn from that. And I know it's a, it's a simple analogy, but we got we have to do that same thing with our employees. We have to let them struggle and let them make you know um, um, let them fail, uh, let them take these opportunities to learn. One, because it allows them to trust themselves, and two, it allows us to trust them, and they'll take ownership of it. If they if they don't feel like they have control, they don't feel like they can handle it, then they're going to keep coming to you and you are always going to be the one to have to bail them out and always be the one to have to take care of it because they, they don't trust themselves at that point. But, and there's, there's two comments here. One is, one is, but it's going to affect my profits and my reputation in the business. It'll affect you short term, Right but the long-term is much more beneficial. However, if you're always doing it for them, then that's going to hurt you long-term. And, and, the, and the second comment is I see way too many owners who are what I call the shell answer man, who their employees can't make a decision without them weighing in on that decision. Bill, how, how many, um, how many day-to-day operational decisions do you make in your business today? How often are you called in on a day-to-day operational decision? What we do in that car or, or um, you know, how do we take care of that customer? Or how do we sell this job? No, I refuse. I refuse to do that. <laughs> that's, that's not my job. Okay. And, and I'll tell you how I learned that. I learned that that's not my job by doing it and screwing it up over and over again. I, if, if anybody has done that way too many times, it's me because I came in <clears throat> again, I came in as a manager. I came in as somebody with my eyes on everything. And so I was making decisions at every level, like, Hey, make sure you torque those lug nuts and make sure you get a signature on that estimate. And, you know, I was constantly reminding people of things and, and I'll tell you what happens as an owner. Cecil's heard me say this a thousand times, people pay attention to what you pay attention to. And if you want people to pay attention put way too much attention on one little thing, go ahead and micromanage it. Because instead of doing their whole job well, and maybe making a small mistake here and there, you're going to make sure that they do one thing really well. And that one thing is going to be all they focus on. And after that, everything else falls apart. And now you've just created a job for yourself that's called the juggler. And now you're trying to keep all the balls in the air because you've you've completely misguided your staff by paying attention to one thing. I think there's an interesting, uh, I thought you were going to say that Cecil slapped me on the hand and said, stop doing that. So, but I think there's an interesting um, um, concept here. I want, I want to be the best shop 
in the world. That's what I want. And I want my employees to want that same thing. And so now I need to have a meeting to talk about quality of work and what quality of work looks like. And that's where we define tightening lug nuts and double checking bolts and things like that. And then we pay attention to the result. And if the result is that we're not doing those things, then we discuss it again and come up with some standard operating procedures that are then followed to guarantee that those things happen instead of me going in and going, hey, oh, by the way, every time you work on this a car and do this, you need to tighten the, the lug nuts, right? Yeah, I mean, and, that's, and that's what happens. That, yeah, the paying attention to one thing is it, it, it ultimately is making operational decisions day to day. And, and something that I've got written here um, for my business plan is I've never, I've never had job descriptions and I've never had job descriptions because, uh, because of a couple of legalese reasons, but also because I find them limiting. When you describe what the person's job is, um, all the duties, you, you, the list would just go on forever, especially well, but, if you were to get down into the tight lug nuts. But a, but a good need, job description is not that. Right. It's in general, here's what you need to accomplish in this position. You know, and then we also have the ethics of the company that's a separate piece. And we have the we have the idea that we want to be, you know, really good at what we do and we want other people to think we're really good. And we've kind of defined what that is in it maybe in more um step-by-step terms, but certainly in a general sense. Sorry, Bill, to interrupt. Well, you. here's how I'm here, here's how I'm doing it this time is I'm starting an organizational chart. I'm not starting, I'm using the organizational chart that somebody wrote for me once upon a time, Cecil. And, and in each position is a job results, mm-hmm. a positional contract with job results. And I, I use the word contract because I have it written here, but it won't be a contract. It'll be a, it'll be a positional description with results. So I will describe the results that we want from each position. And that will give me a brief concise description of what I care about. If I don't care about the day-to-day choices that people make, or I don't care, I I don't involve myself in it. What I do involve myself in are the results of whatever was done that day. Do you, um, um, I'm going to, I'm going to move to Rich. Uh, Rich, do you, do you have discussions with your staff about who you want to be as a business and how you want your customers to see you as a business? I do. I try to focus. I try to stay customer centric with everybody that I talk to and in every decision that I make and in the decisions that I want our people to make. For example, the technicians, when they feel a certain way about whatever done on a car and I try to have them put it into the mindset of what the customer sees or perceives. You know, one of the things would be I require them and I expect them to want to um, run the car over to the steam cleaner and hose off under the hood of every car every time they work on it. And why? Because when a customer spends anywhere from $100 to $5,000 on a car, most of the time when they leave, the car looks and feels exactly like it did when they brought it in. So how else do they know that we did anything except that they got the car and had the perception that it was in better shape than when it came in. So whenever we have a, whenever we have, we're dealing with something where somebody's feelings are hurt or, or a technician's not feeling right or the service advisor is upset about something or whatever, I try to turn it around and have them look at it from what the customer would see. How do we put it in terms that, that are, in relation to who we want to be from the customer's perspective. Does it really matter what goes on behind the scene? Like at Walt Disney World, the whole, most of the park is underneath ground. Yeah. Only thing that's seen is what's on top. Nobody knows what goes on underground. Nobody knows what goes on in the background. As long as our end result is good, we, we can manage. And if the customer sees it as being right, and the service advisor did something that, you know, if they, if they took a, they all have ownership, um, powers really you know my advisors could do anything they feel they need to do to handle that customer at the time and we will discuss it later and i will not tell them they did it wrong i'll just say next time let's do it this way so so i have a weird um i don't know i might have a weird viewpoint here 
Um, I want the behind the scenes to match the front of the scenes. And, and you're right in the sense of as long as it's moral, ethical, and legal, then I'm okay with this is how we do it. But I would, I would hate to think that the front of the, you know, the outside of the apple looks really good, but when you bite into it, it the core is, is, is rotten. Right. Um, I think that building the culture of excellence and looking at the goals of excellence within your company and having people that want to do that is, is really important on a regular basis. Um, I, I don't know, how, Bill, how, how do you feel about that? 100%. And I'll transition on that question to discipline. The best way to discipline is to not need to. And, and what I mean by that is by getting out in front of it. Um, and how do you get out in front of it? With company culture. Um, you get out in front of it by seeing something becoming a pattern failure or seeing a, a, a mistake that could become an, an issue down the road and addressing it in a way that, that hasn't become jugular yet, um, whether it's timeliness or whether it's um, comebacks or whether it's answering the phone wrong, um, gentle uh, suggestions. Um, and again, as an owner, you don't know how much power you have, but just by simply paying attention to something a little bit, you can get in front of it. So hang on here, because th this, is a, this is a very interesting concept um, uh, of not needing to discipline. Um, but I believe, Bill, that people should have common sense and they should know how to do the job so I shouldn't have to define it for them. Can't. Can't shaking his head because he knows my opinion here. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate a lot here um, because I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes of a lot of owners. And you're, what I've you're making, you're making a wild assumption in that regard. So do I somebody, but if I'm going to have a general, you know, I want quality work. <clears throat> And, and, and I don't define what that is for my employees, they're going to define it. Sometimes right. employees act like children and they test the boundaries and they, they don't act what, like, what can they I don't get away act with? like the, they don't act like the owner that, that Rich was describing. And yes, we want them to take ownership in everything they do, but sometimes they don't. And they, and they, they test the boundaries. I've got, I've got a guy who's still testing the boundaries with timeliness as of, as of this morning. And even last week didn't get the job done. Huh? <laughs> well, it, it, it's funny because what he's doing is he's, he's showing up and getting dressed really fast and clocking in by eight Oh one. And it, he's not, he's not breaking the rules because he's got a wrench in his hand at eight Oh one. You know, but it's it's he's, he's it's, the, so it's the letter of the law, and not the and not the the idea of the law. And and right? my comment, my comment to to Gary, my manager, is, you know, is this the mountain you want to die on? He's he still turns fifty hours a week, and and it's it's pissing off other people in the shop. But I have to tell you, another philosophy that I have is is the known devil is way better than the unknown devil. And what I mean by that is, yeah. is if you know why some of the culture in your shop is a little shaky because employees are pissed off at another employee for showing up and being there at 801, or that's the thing that they're, that's the bad thing that that employee does, you may not fit, fix everything. You might let some things go for a little while just because as soon as you fix one thing, the guy that pushes the envelope, he's going to find another place to push the envelope. The, the employees that have a threshold of frustration are always going to have a threshold of frustration. If this is the level that you want your shop to operate at, but you've got people that have a level of frustration that is mandatory in their life, which does exist, this is the highest level of satisfaction they will ever allow themselves. This much frustration will always be there. If you fix this thing that they've been bitching about, they'll find another. And they go they'll up find to somewhere else. They'll only be up here for a moment before they find something to bring them back to their comfort level. Right. And it's, and, I, and I this talk is about, 
This is a scale of dysfunction. Like way down here is a dysfunctional person. Up here is still functional. It just happens to be who they are. I talk about minimum acceptable performance for each position, right? And if my minimum acceptable performance is really right here, most of my people are going to perform well above this. But I may have some people that are good performers that have other issues that are going to be here. Does that work in the overall scheme of my business? When it comes to timeliness, you know, I was that guy that that if you're one minute late, you, you need to be 10 minutes early and, and ready to go. But I've realized that there are certain people in the world who are really great performers and good employees, and they just don't have a sense of timeliness. They just don't have it. It'll, they'll never have it. It's I'm like, the same guy. I can't I'm the do same math. guy as you, right? but I'm not making operational choices, and I'm going to let Gary handle it, how Gary right. sees fit. Stop wasting your time trying to find a magic bullet. There isn't one. However, our Keys to Automotive Business Success teaches the foundations of a successful automotive shop and gets you started on the right path, which is pretty close. You'll learn how to set actionable and achievable goals, understand your financial model, and how to communicate more effectively with your team. This course was designed to jumpstart your results, not waste your time. Take the class today and you'll learn how to start creating the business and life you want. Visit ifrave.com to register for the class at only $49 and available to take wherever and whenever you'd like it's what every shop owner needs to kickstart their business into success i had a problem with somebody who was habitually 20 minutes late habitually but an excellent performance i changed his hours and didn't tell him yeah (laughs) so he was on time 10 minutes early every day day. i never told him well you know we've had people that have have uh, (laughs) family issues and we've said, look, if you can't get here at eight o'clock, can you be here by 8.30? We'll change your time, right? You know, because you have to take your daughter to school every day, whatever that is. I can work around some of that, but I can't have someone that flaunts the rules on a regular basis because it's well, so, to my other people. So to bring it into, into my realm, uh, people are always going to break your game. They want to hack it. They want to find a better way to use the rules and, and system that you had to get their best result out of it, right? Whatever makes them happy. And as long as you're okay with some of that flexibility, like Bill's saying, then the game's going to run smoothly, even if it's just this one little instance, right? We or run, we all run change the rules. And we're all dependent on the people that are there. And if somebody's not there and performing, it means you got you to step in and fill their shoes. As, yours isn't happening. As long as, and, as long as they're willing to play the game in its entirety, Yeah. I I think, you know, I think it's interesting, too, because when you think about management, you need to have rules and you need to make sure people follow the rules. But there needs to be some flexibility, which is is maybe one of the difficult things about management is understanding what's good flexibility and what's bad flexibility. So, Um, Cecil, can I transition to an item that I've um, shared with a few people? So, uh, a couple of times there have been um, posts on the uh, Institute Facebook page about um, disciplinary actions in California specifically. And, and mm-hmm. Cecil has routed those people to me. And this is a very important thing. I'm going to read from the society for human resources management, California courts in some cases have found that employer policies or statements of managers or, or the statements of a manager have overcome the presumption of employment at will such that an implied contract to be terminated only for good cause arose. One such policy is a rigid progressive discipline policy under which employees cannot be fired until a series of prior warnings and lesser sanctions have been imposed. Managers' assurances of secure or long-term employment might also be found to overcome the presumption of employment at will in some circumstances. And what this is referring to, there's two things it's referring to. One is a progressive disciplinary policy, which this is probably backwards for you guys. But this is the verbal reprimand, written reprimand, suspension, termination. And in California, I've gotten rid of that. That used to be in my manual. Hang on, Um, hang on, Bill. Hang on, because... I have what I call uh, an escalating discipline policy. And termination comes when I feel that the employee is no longer making the effort and won't. Now, 
that doesn't mean that we have one meeting and then they get this punishment. We have a second meeting, they get this punishment. We have a third meeting, they get this punishment. It means that I will work with this person and deliver acceptable consequence uh, until I determine that this person cannot or will not do the job. And then I will terminate that person. Okay. I don't know how California, what's that? That works. Okay. Now, what doesn't work is when the, is when the manager goes to the employee and says, uh, you've been late every day for a week. And if you're late again, you're, you're going to be fired. And the employee is one of those jerks that goes, okay. So he's not late, but he starts, he starts doing other things to piss you off or violate right. policy. And so you go, you know what? You're fired. This is crazy. Now you're, you're breaking things at work every day. So hang on. And he says, but you told me I only had to be on time and you've, you created a a verbal contract with, but, but you have, you have a standard by which um, you want your employees to act in, in in general. Um, And if they're not willing to be able to follow that standard, which would also include, you know, disobedience, breaking things, uh, breakage. And, and I don't want to define it all because I don't, I think that gets me in trouble because if there's something that I missed and they do it, then I have to change policy and add it and I can't fire them and blah, blah, blah. But when I have an employee, then, then the employee and I are going to sit down and talk about breaking things. And, and we're also going to talk about who we are and who we need to be in order to be successful in this business. And, and that will include more than just showing up on time. Um, so, I don't know if that would so, meet California policy or not, frankly. I don't know that you can meet California policy, frankly. And that's, and that's a fair point. If, and probably in any state, um, I would, maybe not Nevada, um, but in many states, if an employee wants to sue an employer, they're going to get a payout. And I know that personally because it happened to me last year. And uh, an employee sued me for um, for break times, and uh, and I contacted my lawyer and I showed him all the documentation that I have, including a time card. And he said, "Bill, you're going to pay me four thousand dollars or more to go and represent you and go through all this information, um, and you're going to lose a lot of time out of your life to do so." I suggest you you see if you can pay your way out of this rather than go to court because it is the uh, department of labor relations job to prosecute employers. If they don't prosecute me, then that means they lost. I understand that, but I'll tell you what, it just pisses me off that because it's, it's cost effective, the thing to do is to cave into somebody who is obviously not playing the game the way the game should be played. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, that just upsets I, me. At some point you've got to separate your ego from the, the responsibility you have towards the business. And I don't know if I can do that, frankly, sometimes. It was, it, but it was so in the state of California, it was so lopsided that I had my hearing on the telephone call and my telephone call, the moment she turned it over to me, for me to present, my phone got cut off. My phone call dropped. She came on 20 minutes later. She called me back, accused me of having hung up on her and, and told me, Bill, I want to tell you, I've got a, I had a 20 minute conversation with the plaintiff uh, while you were not on the call. And what do you have, what do you have to say for yourself? It was, it's so lopsided that if an employee decides to sue you, you're already screwed. So back to getting in front of things. And I think Cecil, you're exactly right. And that's where job descriptions with results comes into play so that it's a bigger picture. We need to we weren't getting customers. We weren't getting the results. Yeah, yeah. I think for me, the start is to determine what I want my business to be. And I don't, I mean, that might be financial, but that's a small part of it. I want my business to be exceptional. I want my business to be a, a, a guiding light. I want my business to, to create change in other shop owners, in, in shop owners and make their lives easier and, and, and earn them more profit. And 
And once I've decided that, then I, I create my org chart and then I decide what each position has to accomplish in, in a more general sense. And then I go about working and talking to my staff. And frankly, if somebody doesn't play the game the way the game needs to be played, I'm a big game guy. Business is just a game. Um, and yet my ego is way involved because I hate to lose. And Bill knows that. And I think Rich knows that. And I know Kent knows that. Um, then there's a disciplinary action with that employee. I cannot let, I have a rule. Don't let the dog pee on the carpet. It's one of my, it's one of my things. You, 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 you cannot let people get away with bad behavior in your business unless you want bad behavior to be the rule. Okay. So I have to, occasionally I have to discipline somebody. Um, Rich, how do I do this? Because these people, I like them. I need them. I want them to be successful. It's hard to find other employees. When I do have to discipline somebody, how do I do this? It's, there's no easy way of doing it. I don't think it's, it's definitely something you have to do situation by situation. One of the things that I've picked up from the meetings and stuff that we've had in the last little bit was, and you've already said it today, is that we're the best. We want to be the best. And I'll ask them, is this the way, if you are the best technician in the best shop in the country, is this the way you feel like you should be behaving? I used to do it all the time. Ask the question and then, and then put it into their, put it into their park. I've got one who pees on the carpet all the damn time. And I'm telling you, it's like, but, you know, he's been with me since day one and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but still. Yeah, I know all the, I know all the excuses you guys use. It is, it's excuses, it is excuses, but it's, you know. It's, it's in, insanely uncomfortable to, to hold people accountable like that. It and I know feel... why he pees on the carpet, you know. I know yeah. why he doesn't. And it, it, it's frustrating as hell. But um, you can't. If you do let them get away with it, then other people think they can too. But definitely the 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 thing that the I'd say the thing that's helped me more than anything is what we just discussed. If you're the best tech in the best shop in the country, is this the way things are done? And is that the way you feel like do you feel like the best technician in the country doesn't tighten a brake caliper bolt? Right. Uh, and if I they think, say yes, you say, well, then you need to go work in a different shop. I think in a sense there's a sales concept, and the and the concept is put them in a corner where they have to answer the question in the right way. And if you, and set, if you set it up in your, um, in your initial bill set it, don't have to ever go there, frankly, uh, uh, headed off at the past. So if you talk in your company meetings about how the best company acts, what's the best company do for comebacks, you know, how many, how many comebacks does the best company have? You know, um, you know, how does the best technician do certain jobs? And you define that. And that's what you're looking for. Later, you can say, is that how the best service advisor takes care of a client? Do you think that's in the best company in the world that does what we do? Is that how the client is taken care of? And th there's only one answer. There's no other answer. They have to say no if, if it's defined. Right. All right. We're we're at the end again. Man, I could go on for another hour because I I just think management is such a deep concept and there's so many different variables in it. And I think we we literally do it poorly in, in small business. I won't just say the automotive industry, but I think in small business, it's, it's not done as well as it can. Um, uh, shortly, um, last words, we'll go Bill, Rich, and, and, uh, and Ken. Bill, last words. Have good meetings. Uh, celebrate things that are, that should be celebrated, and and uh, pay attention to the things that you want people to pay attention to. Thank you, Bill. Rich, if you have a problem and somebody's not feeling appreciated, have them come up with a plan with you on how they're going to be the solution. Interesting. Um, and Kent, uh, don't be afraid to be uncomfortable. Have those conversations. Uh, have them honestly and openly, and have them. Uh, frequently. I think that everyone in the company has to understand that there is a standard and that I'm, as the manager, have to uphold that standard for my customers and for my business and for my employees, everyone. 
when someone on my team does not perform how they should, the way that they need to, it affects everyone. And it's up to me to make sure that that does not happen very often. Uh, we covered, you know, letting people fail. I want to make a quick comment about that. Never where it's going to destroy the business. And by the way, making one customer unhappy is not going to destroy the business. So, you know, I think we don't want to ever make one customer unhappy and therefore we, we, we jump in and we micromanage a lot and we need to be very careful about that. All right. Um, gosh, uh, two weeks in a row, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, I think this was these two these two podcasts are are essential if you really want to you know be a great manager. I think we did a really good job, and of course we didn't cover everything, but I'm not going to add another. We'll do this again later as another as a topic down the road. Uh, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Kent. As always, uh, stay healthy, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye, all. Thanks, guys. Bye. That's it for this one. This episode was brought to you by GearForShops.com and The Institute. To find more episodes or for more information about the services we provide, visit iforabe.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.